All right. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Genesis chapter 14. So Genesis chapter 14. And welcome to week three of our Names of God series, where we are walking through some of the names of God revealed to us in the Old Testament. And what we know is that names in the ancient world carried a kind of far more significance than names do today. So in addition to just distinguishing one person from another, which is kind of what we use names for today, names were often thought to reveal back then the essential nature, the character of a person. So to know their name was to actually know their character, to know who they are, meaning to know God's name or his names as revealed in scripture is to know who he is or to give us privileged access to him as our God. Yet as we said on week one, by revealing his name, God not only has made himself accessible to us, God has also made himself vulnerable to us. Meaning that not only can we call upon his name in prayer, not only can we trust his name and know his name, we can also live in a way that dishonors his name. We can live in a way to not bring glory to his name. And think about this, we can as we said last week, we can dishonor the name of Elohim by bringing it down to, to our level or by not trusting that the one who created us is also the one who holds us and sustains us. Oh, that God's name would be set apart, would be treated as holy, would be hallowed in our lives and not dishonored. This morning we come to the name El Elyon that means the most high God. It's a name that's used 28 times in the Old Testament. A name that tells us that nothing exists above God. All power, all glory, all authority are His and His alone. Yet let me begin by saying this. Here's what I know about us. And just pardon me, I'm going to speak for all of us real quick. When it comes to us, when it comes to our lives... We often prefer a God that we can manage. We often prefer a God who is at our beck and call. We often treat God like a lucky rabbit's foot. We break him out when things go haywire in our lives. We break him out when it all busts loose or when we have a decision to make. But when everything calms back down to where we can control it, we put God back up in the nice little box that we have him in and we move on about our lives and in some twisted way in some twisted way we think that we're more secure when we have God figured out we think that we're better off when we have God figured out yet El Elyon the most high God tells us we're never going to figure this God out we're never going but since he's the most high one we'll never get to the top of him and we'll never get to the bottom of him forever He's more than we could ever dare to imagine, and that's the way it must be. Because when it comes to the way that God directs history and, and all of the events, let me just break news to us today. So when it comes to the events of your lives or mine, God does not need our permission to act. God does not need our permission at all. He does not have to explain to us why he does what he does. With both the macro and even the microscopic world that we live in, under his constant control, God is able to do whatever he pleases, and he's able to do it whenever he 
wishes, our problem is when we have to apply that to our lives, when we have to let go and give God control. I think of the words of, of Charles Spurgeon who said, men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. We'll allow God to be everywhere except on his throne ruling and reigning. You know, if we were to speak of the stars, most of us would say, yeah, the stars are God's because we know we have nothing to do with any of that or the universe. Yeah, that's God's. We have nothing to do with that. But to say that God is in charge of all that happens to us, the good and the bad, the pretty and the ugly, the happy and the sad, the positive, the negative, and that God is working out his plan that somehow includes every one of those things. It's hard for us sometimes to grasp or sometimes it's hard for us to to trust. Let me say this. How guilty are we at times of saying that we have entrusted our eternal security to God? So we trust that when we die, we're going to go to heaven and we trust that we don't even sometimes we don't even think about eternal things. But we're just like, yeah, we're set for heaven. Yet for some reason, we don't believe God can handle today. How guilty are we? Let me just tell you. The greatest need in your life was not what's coming tomorrow. It was the fact that you were, as we just sang with Amazing Grace, you were a wretched sinner. And you were a wretched sinner who could not save yourself. And if God can save you, a wretched sinner, then God can handle your tomorrow. He can handle whatever we face in our lives. And yes, the pastor just called you a wretched sinner. Get over it because it is true. It is true of all of our lives. Yet, as El Elyon, there is nothing that will ever be higher, greater, more powerful than him. This is the God that we serve. And I love the words of A.W. Tozer, who says this. God is said to be absolutely free because no one and nothing can hinder him or compel him or stop him. Can we imagine the Lord God of hosts having to request permission of anyone or to apply for anything to a higher body? To whom would God go for permission? Who is higher than the Most High? Who is mightier than the Almighty? Whose position precedes that of the Eternal? At whose throne would God kneel? Where is the greater one to whom he must appeal? And the answer to all of those is there is no one. There is no one. So let me be very clear from the beginning, why I worship God as the one and only. Why I worship him as El Elyon, the most high God. He is the creator God. He is the plural three in one God. He is before all things. Again, he created all things. He sustains all things. He controls all things. He can do all things except for sin, change, or ever act contrary to who he is and his character. But he can do all things within that. He is above all things. He knows all things. God never has to recall anything. Last night I was stumped on something and I was asking everybody to help me out. I couldn't remember. God never has those moments. And he rules everything. And we are what we're about to dive into is an amazing picture. But just think about this. The first time that this name, El Elyon, is used, it is used after a battle of nine kings. And every single one of these kings probably thought they were the highest one. They probably thought pretty high of themselves. And then God entered the fight. Then God entered the ring, and everything changed. 
And here's the deal for all of our lives. When God enters the fight, he is truly the most high God, not just in heaven, but also on earth. He has it all. So let's dive in and see the events that led to this amazing, incredible revelation. We're going to read Genesis 14, verses 8 through 24 together. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. And it says this, beginning at verse 8, Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboam, the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Siddam with Shadorlamur, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goam, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariot, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddam was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol, and of Aner, these were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Let me just pause for a second. What we're talking about, sometimes in our mind we think this is just a, a little trip. This is, most scholars believe, around 240 miles they went to track down Lot. Verse 15, and he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Haba, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Tidolimur and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourselves. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anora, Eskol, and Mamre take their share. So let's pray. Father, we come before you. We come to you, El Elyon, the Most High God. Show us today that there is nothing, no one beside you, no one higher than you, greater than you, God. And Lord, we pray that you would be the greatest reality in our lives this day and every day. Just speak, O oh God, for we are listening. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So, on August 5th, 2010, some of you might remember this, 33 Chilean miners were trapped 2,300 feet underground in a copper and gold mine. So a cave-in cave confined these men to a dark cave with no way out. And they were 
pretty much imprisoned in an impenetrable fortress of rock. For more than two weeks, rescuers heard nothing from these trapped miners. And think about this. It's bad enough to be in a pit, but it's even worse when you can't get out and you can't help yourself. These men could not even help each other out of the pit. They were stuck together, sitting, sleeping, hungry, cold, sometimes probably without a doubt, without hope. They were helpless. They were desperate. If they were going to be saved, it was going to have to come from above. It would not come from within. But finally, after 17 days, rescuers found a note taped to one of the drill bits that the miners were alive. So the rescuers, they drilled a large hole down through the earth. They inserted a a small tube, and they provided the miners with food, with light, with medicine, a communication device. And basically that hole that went down at that time didn't deliver them, but it did give them hope. Perhaps today, or sometime over the last several days or months, you have found yourself in similar circumstances. Meaning life has caved in on you whether it be spiritually, whether it be financially, relationally, emotionally. And oftentimes when those things cave in on us, we see no way out. And of course, let me say this, knowing God's name won't automatically or immediately change all of life's negative circumstances. Did you know that we still have to deal with the same mess that those that unbelievers have to deal with? We still have to go through trials and difficulties in this world. In fact, Jesus said an amazing promise of John 16, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. But think about this. Knowing God intimately through different names provides us with hope, a sustaining hope. And the darkest of times, even when things can be disorienting, we can trust in God. And so the the miners were finally free when a two-foot capsule called the Phoenix lifted each one, one by one, from their prison. So all 33 men were saved. And here's what we know, all of us, probably through experience, we don't have to be trapped 2,300 feet underground to find ourselves in hopeless or helpless situations, right? Oftentimes, right where we are at sea level, we find ourselves hopeless or helpless, Genesis 14, I find interesting because it describes the first recorded physical war that ever took place. Now, we know there was a spiritual war that took place in Genesis 3 that that we know about that Adam and Eve lost. But the first recorded human war in human history, an evil king, king of Elam, and three other power-hungry Kings faced off against five kings who were trying to protect themselves, who were trying to protect their livelihood, their families, their homes. And two of the five defending kings, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, fled. They fell into pits. Some of them, all of their possessions were taken, including Lot's, or excuse me, Abram's nephew, Lot, was also captured. When Lot was captured, hear this, because this is kind of an amazing thing. Once Lot was captured, Abraham or Abram at the time got involved. When Abram got involved, God got involved. And when God got involved, everything changed. Everything changed. God got involved showing who he is. So three truths today about El Elyon, our most high God. So just follow with me. Number one, El Elyon is a God of possession. 
So El Elyon is a god of possession. So after leading 318 trained men into battle and victory, Abram returned with all of the possessions that had been taken along with Lot. And when he returns, he encounters two kings. He encounters Melchizedek, the king of Salem or Jerusalem, and he encounters Bera, the king of Sodom. So the first time, or the first king that comes, Melchizedek, who's also a priest. I wish we had time to break down who he was, but we, we don't. And kind of who he prefigures is a prefiguring of Christ. But he blessed Abram. In verses 19 and 22, we have this discussion. And in verse 19, Melchizedek said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. So when we say that God is a God of possession, what we mean is a God of possession means he is the possessor of heaven and earth. Listen, if God were not the possessor of heaven and earth, if God were not in control of all things, if God did not have all things under his rule, then he is not the most high God, which means we are either in the hands of fate, whatever in the world that means, we are in our own hands, we are in the hands of each other, or we are in the hands of the enemy. If God is not in control. But take heart. He is El Elyon. He is the most high God. He is in total control. Therefore, please hear this. Therefore, we don't elevate people. We don't elevate places. And we don't elevate circumstances above their appropriate level. Meaning, stop putting your circumstances above the God who is greater than them. And let me go a step further. Stop putting yourself above the God that's greater than you. Stop putting yourself away. Let me show you how we can subtly or not so subtly elevate ourselves to where only God must be. Did you know that before the fall of Adam and Eve, Scripture records Lucifer or Satan or the, the devil, whoever you want to call him. The Scripture tells us that even before the fall, Satan called God the Most High. But sometimes we forget the circumstances. So Lucifer, a created angel, was in rebellion against God. He was not just trying to destroy God. He was trying to take God's place. And in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, Satan, who is prefigured in those verses in the king of Babylon, exercises his self-will in trying to assert authority over God. In these verses, five times Satan says, I will. Now, let me pause and say this. We are never more like Satan than when we are focused on ourselves. Amen. We are never more like him than when we're saying, I will, I will, I won't, I am. We're never more like him. But five statements, let me just read them to you. Satan said, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then he says this, I will make myself like the most high as satan climbed these five steps toward the place of god his ultimate passion was to sit in god's place when satan when he observed all of god's creation he said yes i want those but ultimately what he wanted was to be the god who sat on the throne and let me just say this today brothers and sisters because in church we, we would say no I, i've never done that but that temptation still enters our hearts and minds today, meaning, here it is, the temptation to be the God of our own lives. The temptation to be the God of our own lives, where we become the highest subject of our own thoughts and desires. 
You know, there are people in church today, and maybe even in this church, you try to have a conversation with God, they don't have much to say, but you change the subject to themselves, and they will talk for hours. They'll talk for hours. What does it tell you? It tells you they love themselves more than they love God. They know themselves more than they know him. Listen, here's what I know about us. We don't have all power on heaven or in heaven or on earth. But El Elyon possesses power, all power, in heaven and on earth. But let me say this. His ultimate desire, hear this, is to possess us. His ultimate desire is to possess all of us. I read this week, and I could not remember where I read it or who said it, but someone said this, Satan is glad to have pieces of us. God wants all of us. Satan is glad to have just pieces of you. He don't, he won't, he don't care if he gets the whole thing, but he can take those pieces and he can keep those pieces away from giving God our all. And if we don't give God our all, then he's not Lord of all of our lives. Listen, our lives fall into proper place when we acknowledge and submit to God's authority, to his greatness, to his power. When we don't let the circumstances be the God of our lives, we let God be the God over our circumstances. Listen, in the frigid water or waters around Greenland are, as you might know, countless icebergs, some little, some gigantic but if you were to observe them carefully you would notice that the small ice small icebergs oftentimes are moving in one direction while the humongous massive icebergs are moving in the opposite direction and the explanation is simple surface winds drive the small icebergs so where they're being driven by the surface winds whereas the huge masses are carried along by the the deep ocean currents so follow with me here when we face trials, when we face tragedies, it's helpful for us to see that we are being subjected to two forces. There are surface winds and there are ocean currents. And if we are not careful, those surface winds, the circumstances, the difficulties, the pain that enters our life, we will let those things knock us off course. While forgetting there is a greater current that's taking place, that if we were to submit to that, it is heading in a direction that God has um, before ever, before even before creation, but that God has guaranteed that it will reach its intended end. As we read in Psalm 57:1, God will fulfill his purpose for us, but we've got to stop being carried away by the surface winds and plant ourselves deep to move with where God is taking us. Listen, there is no one greater, no one higher than El Elyon, meaning, and here, here's what I love when we can apply this to our lives. He gets the final say over our lives. And here's where it gets good because doctors don't get the final say over our lives. Bosses don't get the final say over our lives. Circumstances don't get the final say over our lives. God gets the final say over your life and my life. So God has the final word over our finances, over our health, over our careers, over our relationships, and let me, let me bring it down to us. God has the final say over that difficulty you're going through right this moment. He has the final say over even that. Oh, praise his name. And in having the final say, God has promised that he will work all things together for what? Good. For our good. For good. Let me tell you this. To make that promise, if I were to make that promise to any of you... I, I'm going to turn every circumstance in your life for good. I can't make that promise. In order to make that promise, you have to have all power. 
In order to make that promise, you have to be in control. So you have to know what's going on in every situation. So for God to work everything for good, he needs to know every situation of every person and every circumstance and every motive. And he knows it. He knows it. And therefore, he weaves it together. But here's the problem for us. At times, God permits tragedies. At times, God allows unexplainable and unwanted circumstances. At times, God even allows Satan to unleash mayhem in our lives, but God will never let Satan triumph. Listen, nothing in the Bible, so nothing in the Bible would cause us to ever call murder or assault or cancer or a terrorist attack or any of those things good. So nothing in the Bible would ever call us to call those things good. Those are all terrible calamities that are born out of the fall. Sin entering into the world. Yet, every message in the Bible compels us to believe that El Elyon is able to take all of those things, mix in his ingredients, and work it for good. Now, here's the problem. If I were to ask all of us today, what is your definition of good? Most of us would say this. My, ne my definition of good is health, wealth, and comfort. That's our definition. Health, wealth, and God, let all that bad stuff just leave me alone. But what is God's definition? In the case of God the Son, in the case of Jesus, the good life consisted of struggles, storms, and even death. And yet God used that for the ultimate good, his glory and our salvation. Again, as I said a few weeks ago, God will work all things for good, but only God gets to determine what good is. We don't get to. We have to trust him that God is working it together for our good. So El Elyon is the God of possession, the God of all power. But then secondly, El Elyon is the God of provision. He's the God of provision. So we have, all of us have needs in our lives. Some of those needs we know, some of those needs we don't know. And we, however, as a people, we come to places like this believing that there is a great provider of all of our needs, and he is the great God, El Elyon, the one that we worship. And we know that God isn't blind to the needs that we have, even though we are. Next week, we're going to see that he is El Rai. He is the God who sees me. Oh, it's going to be good. The God who sees me, but think about this. In thinking about provision and where it comes from, let's ponder Abram's encounter with the second king, the king of Sodom. So we just read the, the king of Sodom approaches Abram and plays a game of let's make a deal. So he comes to Abram and he says this. He says, listen, I'm the king of, of Sodom and I'm pleased with what you have done. You have got this victory. And basically what he says is you give me all the people that you've recovered, I'll give you all the loot. You give me the people, I'll give you all the loot. The main problem with this is that the king of Sodom had forgotten that he actually lost his part of the battle. He wasn't a winner in this. He had actually lost the battle. Yet he wanted to parade all of those that had been captured by Abram back into his city so that he could claim a victory that not only Abram didn't earn, that he himself didn't earn. It belonged to God alone. And he wanted the glory that came from God's power, and yet God's word says that God will share his glory with no one. 
And listen to God's response, or Abram's response, excuse me. In verses 22 and 23, it says, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high. I would not take a, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap of anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Listen, Abram would not be lured by the promises of wealth and power that came from an earthly king. He wouldn't. In fact, he was so adamant about the king of Sodom stealing glory from God that he said, I won't even take a sandal strap or to break it down into our day. I won't even let you give me a shoestring. Don't even give me a shoestring lest you think you gave me something. For Abram was saying, all I have has come from God. Brothers and sisters, let us understand this, that what Abram understood is that he was not the source of deliverance. What he was saying is this, listen, we were the resource. God used us, but we weren't the source. Brothers and sisters, God uses human vessels to accomplish heavenly purposes, even here leading to him showing or revealing that he is El El Yon, but the difference between the two is enormous, yet we don't often see it. Pastor Tony Evans put it this way, God is our true source for all needed things. Everything else is just a resource. But here's the problem. There are many resources that God has given us, and we begin to look at them as if they are the source. We begin to look at them as if they're the thing that we need. Listen, God is the owner. He is the most high over all. He is the possessor of everything in heaven and on earth. He is the source. Everything else is just a resource. Stop treating your resources as if they're God. They aren't God. God is God. He can use us, use our resources, and he can meet every need because he is the God of heaven and earth. And I love what Abram does here. Is Abram even gives a, a tithe. He gives a tithe of all that came in, acknowledging, God, you're the one who, who did this. This is all yours. El Elyon is the God of provision. I cannot wait till we come to that. In, in, in Genesis 22, that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who still provides. And then number three. Number three, El Elyon is a God of protection. He's a God of protection. In verse 20, says this, And blessed be God most high, El Elyon, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Just think about the provision of God. I love to think about, I love to see eagles. You know, the, the eagle is considered a symbol of power, a symbol of courage, a symbol of freedom. Because of oftentimes the high altitudes by which they are able just to soar so freely the eagle's supremacy is oftentimes enhanced when we think about them building their nests in high remote cliffs or rocks and its young are able to be protected under the wings of the eagle and yet all throughout scripture all throughout scripture we read especially i think of of exodus 19 god says he's the one that carried out his people under the wings of, of like under eagle's wings. Like he is the eagle. He is the one that we find protection in. Or think about the words of Psalm 91. We read Psalm 91 this week. One of my favorite psalms. In Psalm 91 verse 1 it says this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So he who dwells in the shelter of El Elyon. Will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He who dwells in the shelter 
So a place of safety of El Elyon will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Listen, in a world filled with uncertainty and chaos, we will often yearn for a place of safety and protection. And that refuge is found in God alone. So that when the crisis hits, have you ever went through a crisis? I'm asking a a question I know the answer to, but have you ever went through a crisis that literally took your breath away? A diagnosis, a circumstance that entered into your life, and your just breath was just taken away. You didn't see it coming. You didn't see it coming, and you're just left going, how in the world am I going to make it through this? In moments like that, brothers and sisters, we have a place to run. We have a place to hide. We have a refuge. We have a shelter. And when we place ourselves in that shelter, something begins to happen. Our breath begins to get given back to us, and we begin to have confidence build in us, not in ourselves. I was screaming at my television last night at 10 o'clock, or maybe 10.45, watching Alabama and Texas, and the quarterback of Texas saying, my God is a God who has made me strong. And I'm like, that's terrible theology. No, God is strong. He is strong. We are weak. That's, the message of the Bible isn't come to God and he'll make you awesome. The message of the Bible is come to God. You get salvation because he is awesome. And we constantly point people to him. But brothers and sisters, we have a shelter. We have a hiding place. I was reminded this week of a story that Corey Ten Boone, again, one of my favorite people and authors, tells a, a true story of a young Englishman who was held prisoner in a German prison camp for a long period of time during World War II. And one day, this prisoner read Psalm 91, read the whole psalm, and he fell to his knees and he prayed this. He said, Father in heaven, I see all these people dying around me one after another. Will you also let me or make me die here? And he said, God, I'm still young and I want to do work for your kingdom. So God spoke to his heart and God said, rely on what you just read and go home. So this guy picked up his Bible and he walked out of his cell and began to walk. And he gets to the first guard and the guard says, where are you going? And he said, I am under the protection of the Most High and I'm going home. And the guard began to to stand and salute because, at the time, who was called the Most High? Hitler. Hitler. So he said he must have orders. So he begins to continue to walk, and he comes to the final gate, and the men there commanded him to stop, and he said, I am under the protection of the Most High, and the guards even there came to attention and let him pass. And as he walked through Germany, anyone who would stop him, he would say, I am under the protection of the Most High, and I am going home. And brothers and sisters, he made it home. In fact, he was the only one in his prison that didn't die. And think about this. I'm sure, without a doubt, he wasn't the only believer. He wasn't the only believer that was there, so why is he the only one that survived? And just let me say this. When you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, it does not mean that you won't face suffering, and it doesn't mean that you won't face death. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we read Psalm 91, and the way we can interpret it is it means that nothing bad will ever happen to us. And that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that evil will never triumph over us. That because of who we are, evil won't win. In fact, in the same way, what it tells us is this. 
that we aren't supposed to worry about the things that the world worries about. Now let that sink in for a second. Stop worrying about the things that the world worries about because we have been promised a deliverance from it all. Even if we have to walk through death, we have been promised a deliverance that they don't know about. We have a hope for us. In closing, I want us to come full circle this morning back to those 33 miners who were trapped 2,300 feet beneath the ground. They had found themselves in a hopeless situation in which their circumstances and the, the rocks caving in on them seemed to indicate a very poor end result. Yet when deliverance finally came, it came in the form of a transport system, hear this, called the Phoenix. Now, most of us know the Phoenix is named after a mythical bird who is said to have died and then been resurrected from the ashes. But here's the truth for us. 2,000 years ago, a true resurrection occurred out of an intimidating tomb with an intimidating stone rolled in front of that tomb, and that tomb held a lifeless body. But death could not keep that body in the ground. El Elyon, the Most High, raised Jesus from the dead. In fact, when Jesus walked the earth, even the demons called him the Most High. So that, because Jesus rose from the dead, hear this. We have hope even when everything feels hopeless. We have life when no traces of life can even be found. We trust El Elyon as the Most High God, and it allows us to trust that he is the one who will provide for us. Therefore, we give thanks to him even in hard times. We have peace even when we're called to wait. And we are able to rejoice and give thanks in every circumstance. Listen, here's the beauty for us, brothers and sisters. We know that there are so many things that are greater and higher than us. But there is not one thing that we will ever go through that is greater and higher than him. Amen. And here's where we need to let this sink in and where we need to bring this home. Stop letting circumstances be greater than El Elyon. Stop putting your circumstances or what has happened to you or this or that over the God who is greater than all of those things. Let those things take their rightful place. And you will find out this, when you, when you elevate God to who he is, all of those things become less because God becomes greater. So here's my ask for you today, let God be greater. Let God be who he is. Let God be the greatest resource you will ever trust in and depend on because that's who he is. Let God be God. Let him be God of your life. Let him be God of your circumstances. Let him be God of your thoughts. Let him be God of your hurts and your pains and your difficulties. Let him be God of all of those things. Let him be God. Let him be who he is. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. We're going to call Brother Frank and musicians forward as we enter this time of invitation and consecration. Let us pray in this moment. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that you are El Elyon, you are the most high God. There's nothing higher than you, nothing greater than you. You are greater. And there are times, God, where things in our lives, God, are greater than us. So many times, greater than us, God, greater than our ability, greater than our ability, God, to even reason or think, and yet none of those things are greater than you.
But Lord, also remind us today that the greatest need in our lives is that we are sinners and that we are in need of salvation and we can't save ourselves. God, I pray that if any person in this room today has never trusted you, Jesus, as their Savior and Lord, that today they would come to know, Lord, that there is no greater need in their lives than that. They need to be saved. And yet, Jesus, you are the Savior. And you have never turned away anyone who has come to you humbly, sincerely asking to be saved. You are drawing them in, and you are a great, merciful, gracious Savior. Just finish this time today, God, but help us. Lord, let us, we talked about a few weeks ago, not just pray that your name is holy. God, let us allow you to be God. To be God over all of our lives, all of our circumstances, all of our past, our present, God of our future. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.